0: We pray, Lord, sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. Uh, Please bless your word as we meditate on it this morning. Send your Holy Spirit to each one of our hearts to strengthen us and encourage us in our faith and in our Christian living for you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. The text for our sermon this morning is a short one. It comes from the night uh, before Jesus died, so from his Last Supper with his disciples, amidst his long, long dialogue with them. We'll hear just two verses from John chapter 15, 26 and 27, where Jesus says this, "'When the Advocate comes, "'whom I will send to you from the Father, "'the Spirit of Truth who goes out from the Father, "'he will testify about me, "'and you also must testify.'" For you have been with me from the beginning. This is God's word. (coughs) Brothers and sisters in Jesus, if you are the devil, it's a big if, it's a strange way to start a sentence. If you are the devil, how do you keep the gospel message quiet? You ever think about that? Like if you're the devil and you're trying to lead everybody to hell, how could you prevent people from hearing the good news that God loves people so much he sent his son to die for us on the cross. If you're the devil, how could you prevent the spread of the gospel? So that's a problem that the devil has been dealing with for many, many years. But I think in Old Testament times it was probably easier for him. Because if you think about it, in Old Testament times, Jesus had not been born yet. Uh, The majority of the Bible had not been written yet. And so God's promises about a savior were mostly just passed down through oral tradition from parents to children. And then they got written down in the Jewish Old Testament. But back in those days, I mean, essentially, if the devil could keep people away from the Jewish nation, then he could kind of keep them away from hearing the gospel. And to a degree, he was successful. But when Jesus came, things got more complicated for the devil Because now you've got the Son of God himself walking around in human flesh, publicly teaching with authority and publicly doing one miracle after another. Then Jesus is publicly executed. Then he rises from the dead and he goes around and begins publicly appearing to many different people, giving them, as Luke says, many convincing proofs that he's actually alive. So after 40 days full of many convincing proofs, Finally, Jesus ascends back into heaven, but not before giving his disciples one last command. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and all the way to the ends of the earth. So out they went into the world, bearing the good news of God's love and forgiveness in Jesus. And this message was backed up by their own eyewitness testimony. And their own eyewitness testimony was backed up by the freshly inspired books of scripture, which we today know as the New Testament. And by the way, the New Testament was written in Greek, which really was the first time in the history of the world that everybody had shared a common language. Also, by the way, the Roman Empire was in charge at this time, and they had safe roads and safe travels and a strong army to keep peace. And it was really the first time in the history of the world where you could take a message and travel safely across the world to spread it in a language that everybody was speaking with relatively little hindrance. So, now what was the devil going to do? Now what's the devil supposed to do to silence the gospel message? In our sermon text today, what we are going to do is we are going to look at two different tactics that the devil used to try to silence the witness of the gospel in the early church and there are also two tactics that the devil continues to use today so the first tactic is fear fear Now, if you think about this humanly speaking i think jesus disciples had plenty of reasons for fear their leader had just gotten arrested by the jewish authorities handed over to the romans and crucified and killed Humanly speaking, there's no reason why they shouldn't be afraid that maybe that would happen to them as well. Particularly when they remembered some of the quotes that Jesus had said in his teaching. Quotes like, pick up your cross and follow me. That sounds a little bit ominous if you're one of Jesus' disciples, right? And you know the Jewish leaders are out to get you. So I don't think it is at all strange or unexpected that on Easter evening, where do we find Jesus' disciples? They're all locked up in a room with the doors locked, the Bible says, for fear of the Jewish leaders. Then Jesus appeared to them and showed them he's alive, but still today when we get to our text of Pentecost, which is 50 days later, I still don't think it's surprising at all that it says all the disciples were together in one place. Presumably locked up in a room. Presumably still afraid. Because like we said, this is the first big, massive festival that has happened since the Passover festival when Jesus got crucified. This would be a great time for the Jewish leaders to try to nip Christianity in the bud, arrest all the Christian leaders, and get rid of them just like they tried to get rid of Jesus. It is not hard to see why all the disciples start out Pentecost locked up in an inner room. The devil's tactic of fear seems to be working. But not for long, right? Not for long, because at this festival of the Pentecost, Jesus is about to do something that he promised 53 days before. Jesus had promised this the night before his death, at his last supper with his disciples. And on that night, here's what Jesus had said. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another Advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you, and he will be in you. And Jesus went on, and he also said this, All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Now, when Jesus spoke these words, it's the night before his death. At this time, the disciples still have no idea what's even going on. They don't understand that he's going to die the next day. And so I don't know that they totally understood what Jesus was prophesying yet at this point, but they looked back and they realized what it was. Jesus was promising to send his Holy Spirit in a very special way, to strengthen the faith that was in his disciples' hearts and to prevent them from being silenced by fear. And then we read about it. We heard about how he did it on the day of Pentecost. As they're sitting in an inner room, They heard a sound like the blowing of a violent wind that came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So now... Rescued from fear and filled with confidence, Jesus' disciples went outside and they recognized this day for what it was. People from all over the world are here. Jewish people, God-fearing Jewish people, waiting for the Savior to come someday. And this was the opportunity, the greatest opportunity they'd had yet to explain to their fellow Jewish people that the Savior had come. That it had been Jesus of Nazareth. And he had died, but now he was risen. And boldest of all, Not surprisingly, is the disciple Peter, who stands up in front of the whole crowd and gives an impromptu sermon. We heard a little part of it before where he quoted some Old Testament passages, but then Peter went on in his impromptu sermon and he encouraged the whole crowd to repent of their unbelief and be baptized in the name of Jesus. And many of them did. Many of them did. The end of the chapter says this, about 3,000 were added to their number that day pretty powerful sermon, pretty powerful day. And one last detail, nobody got arrested. Nobody got crucified because God was watching out for his people. Now, of course, persecution was going to come later. And for some of them, crucifixion was going to come later. And in fact, out of all those original 12 apostles, only one of them survived to old age. Does anybody know who it was? He wrote the book of Revelation. John. I was going to keep listing off things he did. But John. So John is the only one. He lived in exile to the age of like 95 or whatever. And all of the other disciples were martyred and killed at young ages. But thanks to God's Holy Spirit, their lives and their ministries were not characterized anymore by fear. They were characterized by joy and excitement and thankfulness that out of all the people in the entire world, they got to be the ones sharing with people the good news of God's love that he has shown to us in Jesus. So what happened was the devil's tactic of fear, in the end, was no match for the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, how about today? Does the devil still use fear today to try to get at Christians, to try to silence Christians, try to keep us from sharing the good news of Jesus Well, of course he does. And if you were here last week in Bible study, uh, we talked about this in a little bit of depth, and we said, you know, on the one hand, Christians in 21st century America, we have it so incredibly easy compared to Christians in the early church. And really, we have it so incredibly easy even compared to Christians in other parts of our world right now. Like, if you talk to a Christian from Iraq or Iran about what the stakes might be if they are caught sharing their faith... Like, you will feel ashamed for ever even questioning that you'd talk to somebody about Jesus. Um, we have it pretty easy, comparatively speaking. But on the other hand, our fear of sharing our faith is still real. Right? Our fear and our discomfort in sharing our faith is still very real. Maybe we're not afraid of being killed for our faith or having our business boycotted or having our church torn down, but we're afraid of things. We're afraid of being called intolerant. We're afraid of being thought of as judgmental. Maybe we're afraid of losing friends, losing our reputation, afraid of getting, I mean what, shamed or canceled or something like that. Now it's not as bad as getting crucified. But it's still a legitimate fear. It's still scary. We may not have it as bad as Christians in other parts of the world or other times in history, but fear is still a real thing that we feel when it comes to sharing our faith. And maybe it is that social fear, that reputation fear, that type of a thing, but it's real. And the devil tries to use that fear to keep us quiet so that other people don't hear from us the water of life that they're thirsting for, the fact that that God loves them and that everything in their life is going to be okay. So the devil is still working through fear, and he's working on us. But thankfully, the devil is not the only one working in our world. Jesus is still working in our world. And Jesus hasn't stopped sending out his Holy Spirit into our world. It's just like he promised his disciples. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth who goes out from the Father, Jesus says, he will testify about me. He will testify, the Holy Spirit will testify about Jesus. So the way that God is going to strengthen our faith and strengthen our desire to share our faith is by reminding us of what Christ has done. Reminding us that despite our general unworthiness and despite all the specific wrong things that we've done, God values us so highly he sent his only son to be our savior. Despite our general unworthiness and all the wrong things we have done, Jesus loves us so much that he willingly went to the cross and died for our sins. And through his death and through his resurrection, we've been given an eternity of happiness with God in heaven someday. So the message of the Holy Spirit in a nutshell is that God loves each one of us way, way more than we would ever have possibly imagined. And that God's love for us is powerful. In fact, God's love for us is perfect. And as our good friend John, the only one who made it to old age, as he wrote in one of his letters from his old age, he said, perfect love drives out fear. Love drives out fear. And it does. If you want an example of this, just look to last week's sermon. If you were here last week or tuning in last week, we saw the Apostle Paul standing in front of King Agrippa, and he's on trial for his faith. And when someone's on trial, you probably are expecting them to be motivated by fear. You might expect Paul to be begging for his life, or you might expect Paul to be angry and arguing about how unfair this was that he's on trial for something he believes. But no, what was Paul's attitude in his trial last week? The whole time, he's trying to convert King Agrippa to become a Christian. Like he's blocked out everything else and he's focused on sharing the gospel message with the judge who is grilling him and interviewing him. And that is because perfect love drives out fear. Perfect love, God's perfect love for us, it makes us realize that even the individual persecuting you is a person whose heart could be warmed and melted by the love of Jesus. It makes you view every person around you with compassion, just like Jesus viewed every person around him with compassion. And so still today through God's perfect love that drives out fear, the devil's tactic of fear is not a match for the Holy Spirit. So, since we've got that clear, fear is not going to work. It's not going to work on us, right? So what's the devil going to do? Is he going to just stop? Say, well, the gospel message is spreading. I'm out of the picture now. Of course he's not. The devil's not going to quit trying to silence our gospel witness. And so what he does is he pivots to a new tactic. And it's a tactic that I think has proven to be far more successful in our kind of cushy, easy-to-be-a-Christian, Western, modern-day American world. And here's the new tactic. It's not fear anymore. It's complacency. So what does complacency sound like? On the surface, it sounds like this. I'm too busy to share my faith. I have all this stuff going on with work, I have all this stuff going on with school, I have all these travels and life, and I just, I just don't have time to add another thing. I'm too busy to share my faith. Or complacency might sound like this, I'm too distracted to share my faith. Right? I mean, like everybody, I'm just frantically scrolling through an ocean of information, trying to process it all in my own tiny little brain. But like, there is so much going on in the world around me. There is so much happening. I can't keep track of it all. I don't have the mental space to try to talk about witnessing and sharing my faith. And you know, I just can barely keep my life together right now. That's what it sounds like on the surface. That's what complacency sounds like. But beneath the surface, here is what we're really saying. Someone else will do it. There's millions of other Christians in the world I'm sure some of them have more time and energy than I do. I'm sure some of them are better at talking to people than I am. Somebody else will do it. Or even beneath that level, maybe what we're really saying is this. God's Holy Spirit will do it. Because isn't this what the Bible teaches about conversion? Right? We're not going to argue anybody into faith. People don't come to faith because they want to or ask to. I cannot, by my own thinking or choosing, decide to become a Christian. God's Holy Spirit is the one that works in people's hearts. We even heard it in our sermon text today. The Spirit of truth goes out from the Father. He will testify about Jesus. So God's work is going to get done. God's kingdom is going to grow. More people are going to learn about Jesus. It's not my job. God's Holy Spirit is going to do it. Well, not so fast. Because look at what Jesus says in the final verse of our text. He says, When the Advocate comes, he will testify about me, but you also must testify, because you have been with me from the beginning. You also must testify. Yes, God's Holy Spirit is the one who builds faith in people's hearts through the message of the gospel, but he uses instruments to do it. He uses instruments to bring the gospel to his world, and one of those instruments is you. It's not optional. You also must testify. God could reach the world any way he wants, but he has chosen to reach it through you. Just listen to the passion of God's Holy Spirit speaking to you through his word, through the Apostle Paul. This is from our second reading. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, But how can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So God could reach the world any way he wants to, but he has chosen to reach it through you you think about it, we all have people in our lives who desperately need Jesus, don't we? You've got the person who is pursuing every possible avenue for happiness that the world could provide, and they're just not finding it. You've got the person who is is crushing it in terms of career and wealth and, and everything on the outside, but on the inside they are just empty. You've got the person whose life has been flipped upside down by tragedy. You've got the person who's terrified to leave their house because of all the scary things that they see happening in the news every single day. You've got the person in your life, maybe, who has made politics into their God. And whichever side of politics they're on, it's only a matter of time until they get massively let down because politics can't give us what God is going to give us. Or maybe you've got that person in your life who's just floating, kind of drifting without any meaning or purpose. We've all got people in our lives who desperately need Jesus. So here's the question. Who is going to connect those people to their Savior? Who's going to help those people find out that God actually loves them and God is with them and God sees what's happening in the world and in their life and because of God's grace, it's going to be okay. Who is going to share with those people hope, not just for right now, but hope that lasts for all eternity? You are. You are. And it doesn't have to be in a big, dramatic way. I think more often it happens in little ways. You end up making a positive comment about how you know God's in control of your life. You mention to someone that you're going to pray for them. You forgive someone when they're not expecting you to. Or even someone just observes the simple fact that you go to church. It doesn't often happen in one big way. More often it happens in a bunch of little ways, but God wants it to happen through you. You are the bridge. You are the connection point between the gospel of Jesus and the people of this world. God could reach people any way he wants to, but he's chosen to reach them through you. And then in calling you to his mission, God has now given you something that every single person in the world desperately needs, whether they realize it or not. In calling you into his mission, what God has given you is he's given you meaning. He's given you purpose. He's made your life matter eternally. The devil's tactic of complacency is no match for that kind of meaning and purpose. The devil's tactic of complacency is still no match for the Holy Spirit. So, in the end, how will the devil silence the gospel message? He won't. He can't. God's word is too powerful. God's spirit is too powerful. God's messengers are too powerful. And you are one of them. You are the tool that God has chosen to use to shut down the devil and spread his gospel across the earth. You are one of God's witnesses. What an awesome privilege. Amen. And now the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith. In Christ Jesus, your Savior. Amen.